Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Wyma, and, to, and today I have a very interesting, amazing guest on our hands. And as a developer and all you other developers out there, you know that we're not very good at UI, UX. And so it's nice to have somebody with a little bit of style and taste on the show and kind of give us some tips, right? So the episode is all about six tips for our next Flutter project. So we have a UX strategist. Is it Andrew O? Oh, oh, how do you say your name? Um, o, like the letter O. Andrew O, yeah. Sorry, I forgot to ask you before the show. Andrew O, <laughs> uh, who is a UX strategist based out of Canada, who's currently traveling in Taiwan. So as he's in his hotel room, he's uh, making the best use of his time and still trying to get out there and kind of teach people how to actually do UI UX. So why don't you go ahead and give a quick intro about yourself? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Uh, so my name is Andrew. Um, I'm a UX strategist based out of Vancouver in Canada. And I help tech founders um, increase their SaaS uh, company's revenue by improving their product and also by reducing their cost of support through design. How do you, how do you actually do that, though? Can you give some more information about how that actually happens? Yeah. So, you know, very, very simple explanation. Um, when a user is using a, a product and they're trying to do something like complete a goal or a task, um, and then they're stuck because, uh, because maybe something is confusing. Then when they're stuck, they have to call on support, right? They have to phone in or, you know, chat with customer support. And then that is an implication on the cost of support. So that means someone has to, you know, spend time and the resource to help them out, right? So when you actually look into these sort of support issues, what you find is, you know, a common pattern where people are getting stuck. Um, and then where sort of the costs are being spent on these support issues. And when you fix them, you know, you get the benefit of improving the user experience, but also eliminating or reducing the support costs, which means more profit and, um, and revenue, basically. But isn't it usually, I mean, as a developer, I always think about kind of costs and stuff related to like development time. Like, are you saying that UX people can actually help reduce cost? Absolutely. Yeah. In, you know, in a variety of different ways, actually. Um, you know, I, I think, I think as, as we talk, like, what I, what I tend to notice is like, um, developers like to build and <laughs> no offense, but a lot of them don't like to talk to people. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like that for me. I like to go in just and just spend time hours in my, in a silo and just doing design. But what happens is, you know, they, they, they spend all this time building something and then they go out to the market and then find that, you know, it's not actually what the users wanted. So they spend more time building and rebuilding over and over again. Um, and, you know, it's more expensive to have to tear things down and do it all over again than if you had done it um, by planning it out, um, planning it with design, and then getting it right the first time. So that's just one of the, the ways, you know, uh, UX design can help you save time and money when it comes to development. Uh, okay. I mean, when I think about UX, I just think about, you know, how can the user actually use this app, right? I think it's kind of, I don't know, what I understand is like with the iPad, right? I think people mm -hmm. usually say that there's no instruction manual, right? It's just give it to the guy and then you should just be able to use it. So like that just doesn't really translate to me. I mean, uh, you know, how, how UX can really save money. I mean, like you said, like, like I think about it, it's like, okay, just give the guy the product to kind of figure it out or otherwise give him an FAQ or instruction guide. Isn't that not enough? Well, yeah, but here's the thing. Like if you had to use instructions, right, that means, that means the product is not intuitive because if it was, you wouldn't have needed it. And it comes back to sort of the, the issue with, with the support, right? If, if the design is not optimal and you're trying to do something or complete a, a task and you're having trouble figuring it out, 
that means you have to then rely on support um, if you're stuck, especially, right? And then that just that just sort of um, means there's a cost of support to helping the user out. Well, what kind of can you give some more kind of concrete uh, things that a UX person could do to a UX strategist can do that can really reduce costs? Do you have any like real life examples from your work? Actually, um, yes, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you you know this this example. Um, so, which is sort of the the primary motivation that that got me into this in the first place. Um, so a couple of months ago, right, I was using my my banking application um, and I was trying to send money. So I spent all this time, um, you know, setting up the, the transfers and things like that, all the details. And, and then when I hit the transfer now button, what happened was it showed me this message like, like um, we can't process this transfer right now, error one, two, three, four, five, right? A very generic error code. Um, and I, I couldn't understand that. I didn't know what was wrong and I, I needed to do something. I needed to get my stuff done, right? So what happened was because I didn't understand you know, and I needed to send money, I had to call call on um, customer support, right? And the whole time it, it took me half an hour to to wait, but it also took the agent half an hour to work through the issue because he wasn't familiar with it. Um, so you know the the whole time we spent on that was like an hour, and what had what what he had finally figured out was. I had reached my transfer limit. That was what that error code meant. I had reached my transfer limit. And in order to send more money, I have to wait until next week, right? So here, here's the thing, like user experience, um, you know, what your UX designers do is copywriting is also a part of it. So if we had made that copywriting clear from the first place, instead of saying a generic error code, like error one, two, three, four, five, if it had said something like, uh, you reach your transfer limit, um, of you know seven thousand a week, for example, please you'll be able to transfer um, more money next week, right? If that had been clear, I wouldn't have needed to sort of wait for half an hour and then you know speak, uh, talk, get on the phone with the support agent for another half an hour, right? And you'd also imagine, you know, if this happens quite frequently um, at a at a call center with let's say you know two thousand employees or one thousand, and you know if this is even like less than one percent of the issue, right? It can still add up because it's 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 happening frequently, and you're spending money on it months after months or year after year, solving the same problem or telling users the same thing that they've reached their transfer limit, right? So this is you know if you if you look into you know what, where these issues are coming from, where this cost of support um, frequent problems are, you can actually look to reduce the cost, and when you reduce that, you know you actually also improve the user experience of the product as a whole. Yeah, I, I agree about that. I actually didn't think even about like text being a, a user problem. I mean, to me, it's just like as a developer, I think if I if somebody told me, "Hey, I'll put the error code," and I said, "Well, the error code's code one two three," I don't think it's going to be very useful. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, that would be my first thought. I mean, the guy would probably say, "Well, you know," then if they call in and ask for support, uh, they would tell me the code, and then I can tell them what the is- issue is. But to me, yeah. I would be like, "Well, that seems like a waste of time." Exactly. But, uh, you think that most developers would just kind of leave it at like, okay, the requirement is this, so then just do this. And that's why they would need somebody like a UX strategist to take a look at this. Yeah, I think I think developers think about how to build things, but they don't necessarily think about things from the user perspective. Um, whereas you know, UX designers are all about the user user's perspective and making things clear to the user um, and making sure that they have the, the a good and good good experience without friction when they're using the product. So what's between a UX designer and a UX strategist? Because it sounds very similar. I think a lot of people in UX want to make sure that people can use product, right? Is that mm-hmm. where the UX kind of is the same in that case? 
So I think, you know, I think UX design is more about sort of just the design aspect of things, right? The execution part of it. Whereas UX strategists, well, it's it's going sort of one step above and it covers a more uh, wider view of things, um, such as like planning, um, influence on the way the company practices design, um, influence on, you know, how to go about design strategy. um, And also like, yeah, um, design planning, um, the way design should be practiced. So it's sort of influence on an, on a higher level, if you will. Okay. A higher level. Yeah. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. So you wouldn't necessarily be making like, you know, all these different kind of UX components, right? You'd be kind of looking at the system as a whole and saying, does this actually make sense? Does the error code or sorry, does the error message actually resonate with the user and make it clear what they need to do, if anything? Mm-hmm. Right. And it, yeah, it's also like, you know, asking the, the right questions. So, you know, if someone had come to come to me for a, say they want to design a project, right? Instead of just saying, yeah, let's, let's just design it, you know, as the way, as the, the way you wanted it. Um, you really have the question, like, what's the goal of this redesign? Like, what challenges are you having? Um, what problems are you facing? What's the goal you're trying to, to reach, um, with this redesign, right? So it's, it's also about a lot about, you know, high level asking the right questions. Whereas UX design is more about the actual, like, execution work. Right. Like now we know what we're doing. It's just a matter of doing it. So that's, that's where I sort of see the difference is. UX person would definitely, UX designer would be more looking at the individual components and making sure all that meshes well. And it's very intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. I think, I think a simple way to look at it is, um, UX strategist is about, um, the direction of things, whereas the UX design part is, is the execution part of it. Okay. So how does a UX strategist actually start to work on a project? Like, is it just really from the beginning? Like, I want to actually understand what you're trying to do and, and why you're trying to do this. And then like, who's your audience, right? Is that kind of the way you start to look at it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in a way, yeah. So, you know, when, when a client comes to me for a project, um, they're, they're usually thinking like, yeah, we need to do this. We need to redesign this. We need to make this sleeker or better or, you know, nicer looking and things like that. But then, um, I think, I think where the value is, you know, is then asking them the right questions. Like, why are you redesigning this? So what are you trying to achieve from this, this, um, new interface or new experience or new product? Uh, or like what sort of problems are you facing that led to the redesign? And then once we, you know, diagnose the, the actual problems and we know what the goals are and it's clear, then we can move forward to then actually doing the design from end to end. So that's sort of how the process goes. You don't just, you know, the client comes to you and say, we need a redesign. You don't just say, yeah, okay, let's just design it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's typically a recipe for a disaster. So where would you typically like kind of stop your work at? Like, are you, cause I'm, cause I'm trying to think about in terms of delivery, what would you actually be delivering to your client? Is it like a, a written thing or is it like uh, a sketch or how would you kind of deliver what you think should be done to this product? It usually comes out in the form of, let's say, like a design file, either Figma or Sketch. Um, but it's, it's a, it's end to end screen. So like, let's say, you know, you're designing an app and it's got like screen from point A to point B, like start to end of the journey. And it's got all the, um, all these sort of like, what do you call it? Different states, um, exceptions, for example, error screens. Let's just say, you know, if we're talking about like a login screen, you have like login. And you'll have like screens showing the login, showing the errors, what happens if you type the password wrong, what happens if you type the email wrong. Um, it'll describe this in, in like a very high fidelity. 
uh, from end to end so that it's very, very clear for the develop- developers and that there's like no, nothing that, that's missing. And then, so then when they use it, um, it's, it's pretty much a smooth process. So you're really deliver so then you're, you're not just, because I'm just trying to think like, if you, if, okay, so if you're a UX strategist and you had a UX designer with you, mm-hmm. of course you had to work together, right? So kind of like, where would the end of your delivery be in that case? Um, well, I deliver the entire project. So I, I provide directions to the designer who's working under me. Um, and then, you know, together we deliver the end-to-end high-fidelity screens. Okay. So you're also doing some actual UX design too, in terms of kind of those pieces. Yeah. Um, and the majority of it, of it is, is sort of like the high level of finding out what the actual problems are. Um, and there might be, might be some, you know, screen designs for sure, but um, it's mostly on the high level stuff. Okay. Okay. So, um, but I, I mean, back to the main topic, right? You mm-hmm. do, you are coming here with like, like I said before, developers don't really understand UX, right? Mm-hmm. They just understand how to build stuff. You tell us to build this thing. We pretty much pixel for pixel do our best to try to make that thing <laughs> happen, which is probably, I mean, it's good and bad, right? Depends on what that, what that thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, as screen sizes, things like that, they, they may change, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you said you have some tips for us, right? Should we start to knock off those tips now? Yeah. So I've got like six tips and one myth buster. So yeah, I'll go through them. So the first tip um, is be obsessed with your users, right? And, you know, it comes back to what I mentioned before, like developers like to build things and sort of do things in their silo and then not, not talk to people and just spend all this time, you know, coding up stuff and then they go to market. Right. And then finding out, um, it doesn't work. Cause I, I've seen that so many times, like developers spending all this time building this project product. Um, but they haven't talked to any people. And then when they actually show the product people, it's not actually what they wanted. Right. So it's important to, to really talk to the users and think of it like, like your engineering. I mean, a, a good way to make this sort of fun is if you think of it as a, as a problem you're trying to solve. Um, just, just, it has to involve a little bit of people, right? And meaning that, like, you're trying to engineer what the actual, what the actually, what the users actually like, um, what they're willing to pay for, what they don't like, right? So that part's really important. So be obsessed, right? Like, how obsessed do we yeah. need to be in terms of, like, because I mean, I could get pretty obsessed with stuff, especially when it comes down to writing some code. Yeah, like, you need to, well, you know, the, the, the sort of like the, the, the world's leading tech companies like Amazon, Amazon is like super, super obsessed with their, their customers. So, you know, you want to be, well, I mean, obsessed, <laughs> but enough, enough for you to get a clear understanding of what you're actually building and who you're building it for. Um, I think that's a, that's a, you know, a good compromise. Um, but actually, the, so here's, here's the thing. Like I, I working with a designer recently. Uh, you know, most, I don't know about most, but definitely some designers say that they're UI and UX, right? And I'm, I'm aware that there's a difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting part is I don't think she was obsessed as, as, as I think that you recommend to be. Now, the reason I say that is because when we're going through some initial designs for what we think would, would be good for the client, uh, she put in this, uh, she put in two things, which the guy said he didn't want, which was, uh, but he, of course she found out after, right? Because when he presented, mm-hmm. he said he didn't want it. Uh, like specifically, he said, we don't delete stuff. And she put a delete option in there. And that's fine, right? But when she went to do the second revision, she actually presented the same, the same thing and she gave a delete option again. Yeah. Like, so in this case, would you say that she kind of violated the uh, obsessed problem? Well, I would say like 
if you had talked to users um, and then found out whether they liked it or not, whether they needed that function or not, it would have been, you know, a very important case. So, like, I guess the question is, you know, did she actually speak to the users or, or do some user testing to, to sort of challenge whether that... Not, not user testing, but she presented yeah. the designs and he said, oh, no, we don't do anything. And then when she yeah. went to deliver the final one, she still kept the delete part in. So, like, I think her obsession maybe was too much like, okay, I know what he wants and he wants this, even though he said he didn't want it. You know, that's kind of the way I was looking at it. Mm-hmm. And that, was that a client or... Yeah, it was, was a potential it? client that we we're pitching to. It's not nothing against her, right? Because uh, yeah. I mean, I, as a developer, I also have my opinions. But I think after some time, I start to realize, hey, you know, listen to the client. If they say that they never delete stuff, even though you think you should let them delete, you know, just giving an example, right? Mm-hmm. If they say they don't do X, and you know, make sure to figure out why that they don't do X, and actually, if they have a good reason, then make sure that you keep it out, right? Because it just doesn't fit for them, right? That's the way yeah. I look at it. Yeah, and and the part where the the you know where where the users play in is if you had gone to if that person had talked to users and you know let's say ninety percent of them say yeah we actually really do need that delete button then that makes a really good case to, to keep that in there and then going back to the client and say you know we've actually talked to your users um, and they really want this so would you please reconsider <laughs> you know. Well, in this case, the client was the user. He was the only user, actually. This is a very custom-made software just for him to use. Hmm. So in, the, in that case, yeah. Uh, I think it was just a problem of just information overload. Like, I'm not here to make fun of people or to kind yeah. of poke fun. But I think I wanted to kind of talk about, hey, maybe she was obsessing too much that she thinks that, you know, things that she thinks would be good to have actually didn't really make sense for the, that particular case, right? Which happens. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll have to see, like, Really have to see, you know, what the what 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 sort of the context and background, um, you know, that's that's involved in that particular part of the the app. Yeah, I, I think it's just maybe you know just kind of presuming that hey, it's typical to delete things, right? But I think some people don't realize that if you delete something in business, you could delete the wrong thing, and you may actually want that thing back. So it's better just to archive it than to delete it, something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that's that's potentially a better solution. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, I think obsession is good, um, but maybe when you obsess, still try to keep the the user in mind, right? Like you said, mm-hmm. obsess, but don't try to presume things. Maybe from your obsession. Yeah, yeah. All right. What's tip number two? Okay, t- tip number two, number two is navigation. Keep it simple, right? Keep it simple. So, you know, when it comes to like making building an app, um, consider like. The way that things are done is usually you typically have like, you know, three to five navigation items on the bottom. Um, and think about, think about like how to, how to structure that to make it easy. So think about like, you know, keeping one for the, the main page or maybe one for like the settings. Um, and then there's other things um, that go in between. Um, and I know you mentioned, you, you mentioned, you know, last time when we talked hamburger menus, right? When, when they come up and things like that. Um, you know, don't try to fit it all into the hamburger menu. That's sort of the reason why it doesn't work. Think about, you know, the architecture of your, of your app and present like three to five super clear navigation items that you think the users want and need. And then just simply lay it out, right? That's, that's sort of the basics um, when it comes to navigation. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Okay. Uh, try, to, try to put everything into navigation, you're saying. Well, try to try to figure out, you know, what your top 
say top three to five pages are in your app and then make sure they're laid out clearly. So what you don't want to do is, you know, fit everything into, into one navigation. Um, let's say, let's say, you know, there's, there's three pages that users constantly need to go to. Um, don't try to fit them all into like one, one single, single, um, navigation item, right? It it may be best to break them out into three, um, or even more depending on what they are. Does this also relate to like, if we have a table of data that we need to really be careful about how much data we're actually going to show to, it seems like a very similar kind of thinking, no? Um, can you elaborate, elaborate more on that? All right. So normally if you have a lot of something, you want to put that into a tabular format and just like the most important data that you really care about at top. And if you want to know more, then you would click into it or tap into it. And then you'd have an expanded view of that information for that particular record. Okay. That's usually uh, what I think about. But then at the same time, like to play devil's advocate, there's also quite a lot of clients that actually I do have that do want, you know, 50, 50 uh, columns on the single like index page where we'd show all the information. Yeah. Well, I would actually, you know, take a look at what is it that the user need from that perspective um, before deciding on, you know, laying out the 50, because I don't think anyone would like to be overloaded with that much uh, information. You would think so. But honestly, just from two clients in particular, I questioned them and they both said they wanted that. And when I delivered that, they were very happy. So... (laughs) I know. Mm. And, and that's why I always stop. Are you sure you want to see all? It wasn't actually 50 counts, but it was enough that it was like that the menu was very long. So I had to figure out how I can scroll horizontally on the app, you know, for a mobile app. And it uh, wasn't very intuitive, but that's what they wanted. They just took their phone, flipped it sideways. And they liked being able to see one thing and just seeing all the information without having to tap and reload. Were they the users of, of that app? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that might be a good case then. Yeah, but at the same time, it's kind of like almost like a, what do you call it? A, um, what's the word for that? It's a violation of that second rule, right? Which is don't try to overload like the navigation. Don't try to overload information into one piece, if I understand correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, design, things are never, with UX design, things are never just clear black and white. You know, I think it, it's sort of like a, a mixture of a of bunch of different things and you know, there's always rules that can be broken and things like that. So it's never black and white. In this case, um, you know, the clients who are also the users are very happy with what they got. Then, um, you know, I think I think it doesn't make sense to remove all of the things that they want just to, just for the sake of making things simple. So I think a moral of that story would be: if the user is happy, then you did a good job, no matter how much more improved you think you could be. Is that right? Um, to an extent, yeah. But usually, you know, it's never like, usually when, usually when the users are happy, it, it also means like, you know, the app is fairly easy to use and very fairly clean and easy to consume. So I think, I think, you know, when, when, with that particular case where they wanted like all the 50 columns or things like that, that's pretty, uh, that's a pretty, um, unique scenario. As I said before, I get that request more than you think, <laughs> which is the, the interesting part. And again, I, I'm like you. I'm like, do you really need to see all of these fields? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I always get back. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is perfect. Thank you. This is exactly what I wanted. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, that, you know, if they are the users and they're happy, then, then sure. I would say, you, you know, if that, that serves the case, then yeah, go for it. 
All right. How about uh, number three for your UX tips? Yeah. Um, when, it, when it comes to like designing things like pages and things like that, um, just make sure you have super clear headlines. You know, like um, ins- instead of like having, having like a really long sentence of things you, 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 cr- you cram in a headline, just make it clear and simple. Um, and that's because like most people don't read. So if you're, ha- if you're having like this paragraph, right, don't try to, don't, and, and you're expecting people to read it. And, um, most people just, most people don't instead, instead they scan. So if you can, in a way, summarize, you know, a paragraph content in a clear headline so that the users can understand it from a first glance, first glance, um, that's what you want to aim for. Yeah. And it really saves the users time so that they don't have to spend all the time reading things like that. And it makes it clear to them. Uh, what the page is about and what they have to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it make it more visual, more intuitive rather than long explanation about, okay, first you tap this, then you do that. And if you want to do this, like less text, more visual aids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. But the sad part is that most people could just kind of think about how they can properly do that. Do you know of any like simple ways to actually make that most of these kind of more easy things, more like, uh, how do you say that, more... How can you make things more intuitive when it comes comes to this kind of problem? Is there so, like uh, I mean, like yeah. I guess for instance, you can say like, okay, if this is a save button, you can just put like a the floppy disk icon, maybe. Yeah. So let, let's just say since we're talking about save, um, let's say if you're if you're on a page where I don't know you're filling a long form, for example, and it um, instead of having a paragraph describe the entire thing, like please fill in this form, blah 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 blah, and it just goes on and on and on. Um, just have a super clear headline. Let's say like enter your details or, or something so that when the user reads it, they know, okay, this is what I have to do, right? So if you're looking at from from the so the other way, a good, a good way to, to know you're doing it right is if you can read that one line and know exactly what it is you have to do. So if you find yourself writing a, a super long line of instructions and things like that, you know, just take, take a step back and, and think of how you can summarize it into one single line um, and then present that. And then that will help you, you know, come up with a really clear headline that people can understand. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Or I think there's like, um, some things I do see is like, if the form is very long, there's like a floating bouncing kind of arrow to kind of let people know, Hey, keep going, keep going, this kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good point. Uh, is there anything else you think that would be very kind of an easy one for people to kind of have this idea? So use less text and more action for things that are very normal? I think it, it, when you mention that scrolling thing, I think it's pretty intuitive to, to scroll, right? Well, but what did you, what, what did you actually mean though? Sometimes like for a device, the page will become, how do I say this? It may look like you're done, but actually you need to keep scrolling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, like, you know, because you can have an iPhone 12 mini versus iPhone 12 Pro Max, right? You're going to have different amounts of screen real estate. So it's going to look different on different devices. And so sometimes on, a, on a, maybe a smart device, it may look like you're already done. And you yeah. may say, okay, what's the next action? Well, you have to let them know, actually, since this, since this card is actually bigger than you can put on the screen, you need to make sure that you actually scroll, scroll down, right? How can you let people know, right? Yeah, I think, I think um, one of the you know, mistakes I've seen, um, and again, you know, all these design rules are, are not so black and white, but one of the things I see is when you have a... A form, for example, like a you know a long form that requires some scrolling. Um, sometimes, if you fix the button, people don't know when they actually get to the end, right? And that that becomes a problem. 
So in, what you want to do in that case is make sure you know to place the, the button at the bottom so that when people scroll, they, they're looking for like the next call to action um, instead of just thinking they're done you know filling out these forms and then and then and then clicking the button and then finding out they they can't complete it for some reason. Oh yeah. Oh, like the one thing I really hate. I ran into that today with something. Oh, I was actually uh, ending some contracts on Upwork from like I hired these guys like three years ago. I paused the contract and never came back to it. And then today I was looking through it and I was just ending the contract and I have to give feedback. And there's so many different boxes. I end up skipping it because you don't have to answer all. So I skipped a couple that were required. Mm-hmm. I hit end, like submit, and it said. You need to complete your the thing, and I'm like, well, what the heck did I not complete? I had to keep scrolling up and down so I could find it because I was just in no mood to like check every single input. So I'm looking for a very clear visual indicator. Maybe what would have been good for that situation is you tap it, you let them know for a brief second, hey, you didn't finish it, and then quickly scroll up automatically to like the very most top thing I need to fix, and then let them scroll back down and skip anything else. Something like that could have been yeah. nice. Yeah, that's another that's another pattern actually. So when you're doing you know, filling out the form and you're missing these things, um, tapping on the button can actually, you know, bring you, bring you up to where you, where you missed the, um, the inputs. Um, and then that, that's, that's useful for highlighting, uh, what, you, what you missed instead of you having to dig through that. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good pattern. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of patterns, right? And I guess finding the right pattern is also about finding the right branding that you have, right? Because you can't do certain patterns based on the branding or the audience. Is that true? Um, What's, what's an example? What do you mean? Well, I mean, here's a very good example, right? Let's say that you have an app that's made for people who are older. And, and now I'm not here to pick on old people or, sorry, or seniors or however you want to say it, or, you know, people with, people of age, however <laughs> let's say it. Mm-hmm. But even for myself right now, sometimes I have a problem trying to focus on small things, right? It just, just happens. I'm getting older. Yeah. And so maybe having buttons that are very small don't really make sense or having text that is too small doesn't really make sense. And also, mm-hmm. you can make sure that you also have text that can handle becoming big, right? Because usually you don't run into this, but it depends on your audiences. But actually, I had, a, I had a developer here who worked with me. He's the only developer that I've ever met in my life that actually like, makes the text three times as big on his device. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, I, I don't yeah. imagine that, right? Like, when I go through testing and stuff and I go through all this stuff, I never think about testing for people who like, you know, make the text bigger in the app. And he just happened to, to need that for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually noticed that, um, you know, in a lot of like um, older people when they, they always like to see like super, super big text. Um, and, you know, as people get older, I think that's because it, it just becomes harder to read the smaller text. Um, but, you know, back to you, back to your, um, back to your, your question. I think the users should always come first. Like you should always um, not have these, you know, limiting guidelines that prevent better usability. So if something, you know, like let's say a big button is against user against for guidelines for whatever reason, I think I think the the case should always be that, you know, you should have it um, because it makes it easier for the users to press instead of being bound to these guidelines which make it hard for the users to use the product. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about the big text issue. Do you think it's always good to maybe always check the text resizing part for every single design? That could be very tricky. Yeah, um, you know, that's where, that's where a sort of accessibility comes in. Um, and I think most people for, for sort of, um, forget about accessibility, but, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly the stats. Um, yeah, 
But to your point, yeah, I think, you know, a good general guideline, if you want your design to be accessible, is to make sure that they do fit with these big, um, big techs come in. So do you actually make that part of your checklist if you actually go to every single car client and make sure that they have accessibility down? Um, in, some, in some clients where accessibility is required, um, yes. Yeah, we do have these patterns that are accessible. So, yes. Okay, yeah. Not all, I mean, I agree, but... Uh... Yeah. Every once in a while, I kind of run into a situation where like people do talk about it and they say, oh, actually, I am. Like I, recently, some people were promoting a um, an app that they did that's distributed around the world in real time and all this kind of stuff. It's all about like uploading MP3s and like playing them in sync with your friends. And a developer said, oh, man, the, the app, I, it's really cool, but I can't really use it because I'm actually blind. Uh, mm. so it's difficult for me. So I'm going to actually work with the developer to make sure that this thing is accessible to least to people like me. So it's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Accessibility is a, is a big part of, um, is a big part of UX design and a lot of, you know, I think, I think more and more web websites are, are becoming more accessible and especially like, you know, government ones, um, and banks, like accessibility is super, super important. Um, but not everyone, you know, factors that in when they're, you know, yeah, making their website or, or apps and things like that. Well, accessibility returns to disabilities, right? Because a lot of things are just not accessible in a, in a bank UI, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's always difficult to find anything in a lot of these banking websites, I think. Yeah. Well, no, I would actually um, say, you know, like, I think, I think banks are the ones who, who have to care about accessibility. And um, it comes in a different, you know, a number of different ways. You know, I'm not a super expert in accessibility, but uh, for someone who's, who's, for example, um, blind, you know, the code has to be coded in a way to, to read, read the text in a certain way um, and allow them to use their keyboard to, to complete um, what they're doing. Yeah, so it's not, in, yeah, it's not entirely like visible to us. So now I'm starting to think maybe I should actually be using the website with a screen reader instead of having to use it with the normal uh, mouse. Seems really annoying. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to to check whether your your website's accessible or not. Uh, how about the the next tip? Is it number four already now? Yeah, yeah. So number four is um, you know reduce the amount of um, input, right? So a good rule of thumb is like good design is like super super like the best design is you know if you don't have to interact with it, like it gets your what you do what you need to do it it, it gets done without you having to do it, right? So if you're if you're if, Designing for um, something that has like a lot of forms or, or input fields, for example, think of a way to like pre-fill them and, and not have to have the user to spend so much time filling it out because the less effort a user has to do to do what they need to do, the happier they will be, right? Um, and I'll give you this sort of example. So I was trying to sign up for, for um, this, this like crypto, um, cryptocurrency app and it got me to fill out sort of my my um my country and the time zone, um, but the thing is, like when I filled out the country, it didn't automatically detect the time zone, so I had to do it again, which was kind of annoying, right? Uh, so there's just some tips to keep keep in mind, you know, reduce the inputs when you can, like think of think of ways to make it easy for the user to to fill in the form or or even like autofill it if you can. Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a good way to do it, but the, the only issue is sometimes. In order to actually do that, it, it is a quite a bit of effort. So you have to consider effort versus convenience, right? Yeah. And I, I will say, like, the more effort you, do, you guys do from the development end, the less effort it, there is on the user, which is a good thing. 
So, you know, there is that trade-off, but you always want to aim for, you know, the, the least amount of effort from the user. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like right now I'm working with a client and um, we actually asked for a lot of information because we have to do a lot of checking in terms of, uh, you know, is this guy the actual legal owner of this company? Does he have the access to do what he wants to do? Is this company actually valid? Is it actually still open? Is this address even real? So many different checkings. And we're actually trying to find ways that we can say, okay, give us like this number and then maybe some other information and we can somehow grab the rest from other APIs. So we're definitely studying that one, but it's really tough, especially in uh, the un-United States of America. I'm not saying that, you know, US is not good. I'm American, but mm. every single state has their own thing. That's why it's called United States. Okay. Not, yeah. you know, not USA is one thing. We're all basically different states that somehow work together. And that's uh, the tricky bit, right? Mm-hmm. But can you imagine if you actually, you know, we're, get, we're, we're able to get to a point where all you have to do is fill in one thing and, you know, it'll just pull out all these data and, and, and just be done with it, right? Wouldn't that be like an amazing user experience for you? Yeah, it is. But you know yeah. what else is a, another experience, right? So, I, sorry, I, I like to play devil's advocate, as you can see, like, Okay, it would be great as a user, and it would be great. I would be happy to deliver that experience. But like, let's say, like, I don't know how reliable other people are giving us the right data. That's the other part, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you turn in your 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 information, you get a new number. Are we actually do we actually have the the latest number? Like, like let's say you give number A, but we actually also need number C. But we can get that from like you know giving us the one number, and then we can trace it through. Like, what about that problem, right? There's a lot of things that come in, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I, I agree on that side, but I also think about the other side, like what if something just from somewhere is just not quite right? We need confirmation on that. Yeah. But you're, you're at least one step closer if you, pre, if you pre-fill everything and then, and then, then you can do some double checking as opposed to then having to fill everything out, right? Yeah. Then if you yeah. ask them fill everything out and they give everything right the first time, it'd be good. But then the more things to fill in, the more likely something will be wrong or missing, no? Mm. Yeah, depends, I think. Yeah. Well, if you're asking for like all kinds of different IDs because, you know, you have the different, you know, ID for this, ID for that. So it, it happens. So, but okay. Yeah. I mean, so basically make each input, think about each input and try to use as less as possible to get all the information that you need. Is that kind of a good tip? Yeah. And also, you know, um, even sometimes it's even think about um, worth, worth thinking about is like, do you even need those information? Right. Cause it, it back to like, you know, when I was signing up for that, that app, like, did, did it really need to ask for my time zone at that moment? Right. I think it would have been better if I didn't even need to provide it. So yeah, I would say like, you know, think about how make it easy for your user, of course, but also think about like whether you actually need it or not. And if you didn't need it, it's even better. Yeah. Less, less inputs, but trying to grab more data for the user, making it as easy as possible for them to put their input in. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty clear. Um, how about your, your next point? Yeah, okay, next point is a clear call to action. So, um, and, when, and this is part of it, part of this is really down, comes down to the design, right? So when you're um, making your buttons and things like that, try to make it, make it clear. And clear, I mean, um, give it a, like a clear color, uh, with, let's say white text. And, for, and the way it should be done is like most of your, most of your you know, the page should be like, I don't know if you, your background is like white. Most most of the page should be white, um, and then you have a button that's like that's like your primary and secondary button, 
And the primary button should be, you know, give it a give it a color, give it something that you know easily it can easily stand out from from the white background. Um, it could be like blue, red, or orange, or something, right? Um, and then make sure the text, the copy on the text, is a clear call to action that says like next, uh, continue, or submit. Um, just so that users can can you know if they're scrolling through a page, they can really see what's the next thing they have to do, um, or where the buttons are, and what they have to press. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes sense. So you really advise about having like a white background with black text and then like a red or a blue, some kind of standout color for like that primary color to make them move forward, right? Yeah, and that also goes for for also um, you know uh, dark UI. So um, where where the background is black and you got white text, but you can still use you know like a different color, like like the blue button, red button, orange button, as long as it stands out. Works in both black and white uh, user interfaces. Wasn't there some websites that you can give them some colors and then they can give you some like other colors that can match those or something? Oh yeah, I think you're talking about like um, Adobe Cooler or something. That's that's really um, you know that's that's really a whole different thing though. Um, yeah, that that's that's a whole different thing um, because on your on your on your app you really don't want to have like five different colored CTAs. You want to stick to sort of one main thing. Um, and then you know that, that I think that that color wheel kind of thing is more for your branding as opposed to to the buttons. Um, for the buttons, you want to keep it like super super clean, um, you know, one color. But I think the hard part is like if your primary color is red, what kind of color would you choose for something that's kind of destructive, though? So the thing is, you know, um, I, I don't think that that that's an issue because, for example, HSBC and I work at HSBC, their their primary button is red. Um, and then, it, it, you know, people understand that they brand is red. The buttons got to be red. Um, so, you know, we don't really, uh, when I was there, we don't really run into any issues um, with, with having a red button. And if there are error messages, like, you know, those are usually like the destructive things. That, I mean, they appear at the top, so they don't really sort of have an influence or they don't really impact um, the red, red button being red. So if you were to actually delete something, and you had like a pop-up, you would say, you would actually, you still use the red button for the positive outcome, right? Guess I want to delete this thing or... So I would say it's, it's don't think of it as like a, like a, like a positive or like a, like a bad or positive outcome. Think of it as a primary thing you want to do, right? So if deleting something is actually something you want to do, it may not, necess- not necessarily be bad. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's the primary action. So it makes sense to, to use like a red button in that case. Yeah. Okay. That, that 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 makes sense. I just so used to to um yeah to just you know like things like Bootstrap. They always have like this kind of error color that they they kind of want you to use, and I think that makes sense. So like mm-hmm. at the time, like I had to I had to like you know figure out hey uh, you know what what color can we use to make this kind of destructive action you know, but uh, okay makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how about your next tip? Okay. Um. Next tip is. Simple. It's just test. Test it with your users. Um, yeah. When you're developing your app, uh, make sure you test it with your users. Like, go to them, you know, ask them to run through their, their things, uh, run through the, the main journey that you've developed for them. You know, just, just give it to them and, you know, ask them, ask them questions like, like, how do you feel about using this? Like, where do you feel like you're stuck? Um, you get a lot of good insights when you do that. And, um, you know, tell you, tell the story of someone I was talking to, like, um, Ago. He, was, he was also like a developer and he didn't do, he like, you know, 
like the stereotypical when like one who spent all this time building his own app and things like that and didn't go talk to any users. Um, and then what happened was he was he, he was finding that a, a lot of users were dropping off once they downloaded his app. Um, and I asked him like, you know, did you did you have you actually gone to users and, and showed them your app and asked them what they think? And he said no, right? And and then that's why, right? Because he doesn't um, he doesn't he's assuming what he's building is what they wanted, right? So then I I, I suggested to him like, you know, go take your app, um, show to you, talk to go talk to um, go talk to your users, right? And then when he did that, he he came back and he told me like, I got so much like he got so much clarity just from talking to the users. Um, and then that was really helpful in helping him find the direction in, in sort of where, but what he needed to build, and also gave him a lot of clarity on you know what he was doing and if he, he was heading in the right direction or not. A lot of times, what we like to do is like we like to build and not test with users, uh, and sometimes we think we're right, like we don't need to test it because it's so obvious. But I would say you're always going to be surprised in what you find, and when you speak to to talk to your users and you get their feedback. Um, it can be quite exciting and, you know, it's always very, very, very insightful. What has been like one of like the most surprising results that you've gotten when you actually tested uh, some ideas out? I, I think like with one of my previous projects, um, I can't, I can't, you know, remember the exact details, but yeah, like I can't, you know, remember like the exact details, but general theme is like when I, when I test something or show them, I'm always surprised to you know, that something I thought would have worked didn't work or they had like different um, opinions to it. Um, yeah, I just can't think of an example on top of my head. Think of one, um, I, I, we talked about this one before where like the the yeah. bottom nav bar, right? That bottom tab bar, we were always picturing that people would be using that and kind of bouncing around the different sections of the app, right? So we really had only about four or five actions. I mean, you can't put 20 actions to it, that little like tab bar thing at the bottom. So we had everything really figured mm. out. We took a lot of time. We went with a UX UI person. We we didn't really we did actually kind of test it out with people, but I think the problem is that when you test it with somebody, you may give more feedback than what you really should, right? Where you want to let them use the app, let them figure it all out. As opposed to we went up to them, hey, you could do this, you could do that, and kind of show them how it worked, and then they just remembered based on the demo, right? Anyways, what we found out later on was that yeah. like we had this section in there where it was like, okay. You can see your your points that you've earned, and like how to get to that, you have to go to your profile in order to see all that kind of stuff. And people, oh, sorry, sorry, no, you can always see your points, but you couldn't see the breakdown. You see the breakdown, you have to use the tab bar at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so people were actually tapping on the points, the text, right? It was just text, right? They kept tapping on it and saying, "Why well, can I cannot see my balance?" Right? We were just so blown away, and we're like, "Well, can't you see at the bottom? Yeah. There's a, you know, there's a thing." Uh, and no, I never thought about that. Actually, one of the other things is like, there's this whole entire idea that you can, you can get an offer, right? The whole entire idea is that you can use your points, you can redeem an offer for something. We had a tab, all it said offers on it. They went to the first one and they couldn't figure out how to actually get to the offers. It's like, it says right there, mm. offers, <laughs> like how come you don't see that? But we were surprised, right? Because we, we, yeah. we were working with a guy who also worked in HSBC. Who also was a pretty decent uh, UI UX person. He spent quite a bit of time designing it, thought about it, and it just didn't pan out, right? It happens, right? But now we learned a lot. Oh, they tap on this, they expect this. Okay, we gave it to them. You tap on this, you get this. Okay, we gave it to them again. And then in the end, people didn't have an issue with the app anymore. And they found ways of getting to offers without actually tapping on offers, which is the most surprising part because we actually did put some 
so another shortcut there. So it was just really quite amazing. And also like um, went even farther, right? Where like once you join an offer, it would actually kind of go back and actually move the tab for you. Like, okay, this offer finally got redeemed and now we brought you over to where the redemption part of the app is so that you can actually redeem it right then and there. You know, so if like you're, because a lot of people were actually like, they were standing in line to actually get this thing. They had the points for it. They didn't bother to redeem it until they're standing in line. And then like they, they, they tapped on it and we didn't actually navigate them to actually the redemption part. And they were like, oh, how do, how do I redeem this? I, I know I got it. Where, where is it? But once we had that second part in, like then that also fulfilled the expectation, right? Yeah. And I bet you were like feeling like surprised, eh? When, when you found out like, wow, this is actually what they thought and what's happening. I mean, when you're like, you know, this is, you know, this more than me, right? When you're a UX strategist, you get a whole picture. When you're a developer, you're so in the details and the needs of like all these things you have to implement that you never really think about the big picture is when I do this, I should, I wasn't expecting this. It's just, okay, if the guy taps on this button, we, I obviously wants to do this action. Not if he taps on this text showing his points, he probably wants to see a breakdown of his points. That would never, that's too far of a thought process when you're actually developing and putting in all the details. Yeah. And, and sometimes, sometimes, you know, it, it, it also happens to me, like we, you know, we do this and then we never expected the users to use it, you know, a, a different way. Right. Um, and that's, that's sort of like the most surprising part when you, when you, um, a lot of times, you know, you, you, sh- you, you can think you're right, um, but you'd be surprised on what the users come back with when you, when you test it with them. And, um, it just goes to show, like, you should always assume, like, you know, you, you always have your assumptions, um, but test them like they could be wrong anytime. Yeah, I'm wrong about everything all the time, so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. No, but yeah, I mean, you never know until you put it in front of people. I think that, I think really the last point that you have is probably one of the best ones. No matter, no matter how bad you are at, no matter how bad or how good you are, the ultimate test is can the user do what they want to do and get it all done? And if not, how can you help them to make that happen? How do you iterate, right? Yeah, yeah. Even even you know, like even you even experts get it wrong, right? And and it doesn't matter like how you know experts can go on debating, debating which which they think is better. But until they get it in front of the user and then actually see what the users respond to, you know, like that's that's the most important part. Uh, that's what you know s- sort of settles the score yeah, sometimes. I definitely agree. Yeah. Okay, so we went through all the tips, right? Is which which tip do you do you think are, are the most like if we were to pick two or three tips that you say, okay, if you're gonna walk away tonight after listening to this podcast, which two or three things do you think people should really keep in mind? I think I think, you know, really like the first one, because um let's be obsessed with your users, like go talk to them and also, you know, test it with your users. Um they're kind of similar in a in a sense. Uh, where where testing is more like you know more more focused. Um and those two, um, also think about like, um, clear headlines because, um, then you're starting to think about how you can present things in a way that's easy for the users to understand. So I think, I think those three, um, the first two are, are especially important because, um, you, you know, developers, they, they kind of like to just spend their time building things and, and not really get the user's feedback. So that's why it's, it's super, super important to get that before you, you spend hours and hours building and going down a long road and then, and then finding out, you know, not what the users actually wanted. Um, and it also, you know, comes back to the point of, of testing too. So um, I think those are, those are like the really important tips for developers to keep in mind. 
Yeah, I think I think I agree with you on that one. I still can't stop thinking about mm-hmm. the testing one. That's probably the most important one to me. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. So how are you keeping busy these days? You have lots of projects going on or what's going on in your current? Yeah. Um, yeah, I do have like one or two projects coming in. So I am keeping busy. Um, yeah. And how about you? About that's, what, that's what we're here to talk about is that both you and I, yeah, we're busy, but we're always hungry for something more, right? We, we have some availability coming up and we're actually working together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think with your skills as a UX strategist and uh, our skills as people who can help implement that UX strategy into a product, we can really build some awesome stuff together. Absolutely. And um, I, I do have, you know, sort of like a, like a mini guide for, for the, um, the viewers of this podcast as well, or li- the listeners. And, you know, I talk about like all these, all these um, UI UX tips, but the reason why they're important is because, you know, if you build a product that's good and easy to use and people love it, um, then, you know, there'll be, there'll be users who are willing to pay you and when you build a good product, you know, it lessens um, sort of the impact on support. Um, so I, I do, you know, all, all, all in all, like if you, if you care about your experience of your product, the UI, UX, you make it easy for the users to love, you know, they'll, they'll be the ones who are going to come and pay for your app and use it and be loyal users. And all of this means is like, you know, that's how you, you know, build a compelling product for people to use. Um, I do have this sort of like... Um, five-page mini guide, uh, sorry, five, like uh, eight-page mini guide on how, the five ways you can increase your um, SaaS company's product, um, your revenue and um, profitability by uh, with UX design. Um, and you can get, get that on my website at andrewou.com slash guide. Yeah. Okay. We can probably try to put that into the notes. Uh, we do have, so what I like about our podcast is that we do have returning, returning viewers and they love to comment and I, I love that too. Um, so John Cumming, friend of the show says, design thinking, empathize, define, ideate, is that how you say it? Prototype and test. Yeah. That, that's actually, that's what the, the pillars of design thinking, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, like it all comes back to, to, you know, doing that process with, with the user, right? Um, you're ideating like what the possible solutions are. Um, and then you're going ahead, like designing it instead of just building it. And then you're, you're, you're designing it and testing with users and then you're refining over and over again. Um, if you have that process down uh, and you follow that process, it will make your project go a lot smoother. You'll save time and money on the long run. And you also build some, something that your users love and it's more accurate too. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. I, I like the part that they have tests in there too. It's like, again, most important part. Yeah. No matter how much time you spend prototyping, idealizing, empathizing, defining, the ultimate showdown is the test. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Great. Um, the other thing that's actually important too, right? I'm also thinking about like how you can lower, uh, you know, how working with you can help to actually lower people's costs in the long run, right? By kind of, uh, you know, making things more intuitive, right? Well, with using Flutter, mm-hmm. you can also help that a lot too, because we had a guest on here from a company called Newbank, which is a uh, uh, a, part, a pretty big bank in Brazil, and they end up reducing a lot of costs, uh, just let alone just by actually using Flutter. And the way that worked is that when you had iOS, your app was like this. When you had Android, your app was like this. And in between different versions, your app was even quite different in between. 
So, you know, obviously the last one, maybe not so easy to fix, but once they use Flutter, they can create one simple UI and actually solve nearly everybody's problem because before it was, okay, it's not working for you. What version of the app are you using? Which are you using Android or iOS? Now it's just, okay, using the app. Okay, no problem. What's the error message you got? Oh, that's what this one means. This one, okay, we can help you. So that definitely also helped to reduce a lot. So now we can you reduce, from, from working with us, right? Now we can you reduce with your app and how intuitive it is. You can also make, uh, even saving more money by actually having, you know, an app that works the same across all different platforms. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I also, I also want to mention one point. Um, it's actually sort of like the one myth buster that, that I want to come back to, um, that we f- forgot to mention. So when it comes to building mobile apps or designing mobile apps, I think, you know, the common thinking has been that, you know, you need to follow the Android, um, Android style guide when you're doing Android and you need to follow the iOS guidelines when you do iOS, right? Because these conventions have, have been sort of set for so long and people are so used to it. Um, but I think that, you know, you don't need to follow these native patterns if you don't want to, right? You can simply use like a single design like Flutter. And that in a way is very, very beneficial because you only have to think about one design and you don't have to have like a separate iOS or Android development team. You can just have a like Flutter development team, right? Um, and then it's easy, also easier to maintain um, the design as well. So you don't have to build out two separate design. Um, and to, to sort of add to that, right? You know, if, if the product works for the user and it doesn't, it's not based on iOS or Android patterns, you know, if you test it and it works with users, then, you know, what's wrong with, with not following the patterns or conventions set out by Android or iOS, right? Well, I think the thing is, um, what I wanted to say is that even though maybe the apps will look the same, like the other thing too that is kind of nice about Flutter is that uh, even though they look and kind of act the same, there's also some small things that are actually done in the background so that you're not totally the same. So one of those is like, like a list view. When you're scrolling through it, when you reach the end, uh, in Flutter, actually, depending upon which platform you're actually using, you can, you'll actually get more native experience, right? I think I forgot what the difference is. I was trying to look it up on right now. But I think like there's more of a bounce with iOS than opposed to Android or something like that. Or with Android, when you pull up, there's like a what they call an inkwell or like a shadow that kind of comes up as opposed to iOS, which will not have that. So you can still have things look the same, but then just slightly different in just the right spots, right? Not like the shape of a button, but it's actually like it's a little bit of a behavior when you do certain actions. Yeah. Yeah, and um, that's fine as well if you really want to, you know, have that compromise, I guess, between between native and and hybrid. Um, but I'll, I'll also say, like, you know, usability should come on top. So in the case of the shadow, right, if if the shadow is helping your users better be able to pick out, you know, the different um, uh, different information or the different sections, right, go with that. Um, instead of being bounded by, you know, need, need to sort of follow the um, native conventions. Well, I think what this one's talking about is basically when you scroll through a list on iOS version, you scroll through a list on Android, you're expecting different things to let you know that you're actually at the bottom of the list, which is really uh, important, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're expecting that shadow yeah. uh, and you're on Android and it doesn't have a shadow, then maybe you might be confused whether or not you really actually are at the end of the list. Yeah. And, and that's, that's fair too. Um, I would say, yeah, I think so. Um, again, like if it it, wor- it works for the users, um, then you know, go for it. I, I have I feel like UX and 
programming are, are so similar in the fact where it's like, well, there's no real true answer. It's just kind of like whatever works and works for that particular use case is uh, the correct answer. Yeah. And there's, there's so many of that. Like there's a million ways to do things and they're all like right and wrong, but depending on the context as well. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we, we sign off? Um, no, I think, I think we covered quite a lot in, in this session. Yeah, yeah, we did. And, and I, I really love that you brought those six tips in. And I think they're, they're, they're clear enough that people can actually implement them. And they're not too, too distinct that people will not try to get bogged down and saying, okay, this is fit these criteria so that I can do it, right? It's just really like, okay, think about these things mm-hmm. and act properly. Uh, and I think that guide that you're offering to yeah. us, I think will be really great for people so they can actually get more of an idea about how they can do better at UX. And if they're and if they wanted to be get even more information, yeah. we can definitely reach out to you, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, well, Andrew, it's great having you on, uh, and it's nice that you know you're you're not too far away from me, basically, right? So I'm in Hong Kong, you're in Taiwan for the time being, at least. Yeah, not at the moment. So I hope yeah. you enjoy your time over there. You stay safe. Yeah, I'll be heading back in June. Um, yeah, and thanks for you know hosting this show. Definitely like hearing your perspective as, as well, and. It was a fun conversation. I'm surprised by all the weird stories I have when I'm make, making all the different apps. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, like, I, I like the one, you know, with the, with the testing, the personal experience that you experience when it comes to testing too. Oh, what do you mean? Which part of, about the testing? Like the one where you were surprised um, how the users reacted to, to the app. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I, I don't know why I get surprised anymore. After a while, I, I, I have stuff like this happen all the time. I don't know why I get surprised as it is. <laughs> always something happening mm-hmm. all right again thank you for your time uh maybe we'll do another session pretty pretty soon and if you got some more tips and tricks for the hand up the people sounds good awesome oh sorry let me just have one last shout out right so if you guys are looking for more more uh some ux help to make your app even better definitely reach out to andrew O. and uh he's easily accessible on linkedin i think you never sleep and you're always up every time i'm up which is like about 12 <laughs> or 18 hours difference or something and and if you guys are looking for some for some help on actually implementing those those UX tips from Andrew, go ahead and reach out to us at Plangora, P-L-A-N-G-O-R-A dot com. Plangora is the main sponsor of this show, and we are definitely uh, Flutter experts. And with Andrew O's help, we can hopefully be known as implementing great UX within Flutter apps. Yeah, sounds good. Um, and yeah, my website is andrewo.com, A-N-D-R-E-W-O-U dot com. All right, awesome. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks. And have a nice day or evening. (laughs)